You are listening to the Stillbirth Matters podcast, presented by the Star Legacy Foundation. If you like this podcast, please make it official by giving us a five-star rating. If you really like this podcast, please visit StarLegacyFoundation.org and make a donation. My guest for this episode is Dr. Terrell Hatzilius. She's a mother from Washington State who experienced the stillbirth of her son Keegan in November of 2018. Since then, she's devoted a ton of time and energy into researching and understanding stillbirth. Currently, she's leading the charge to pass a proposed bill in Washington that would create a certificate of birth resulting in stillbirth. Well, Terrell, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. It's nice to be here. So the first question I ask everyone who joins me on the podcast is how you got into the pregnancy loss space. And I know you have a personal story. Um, can you tell us a little bit about Keegan? Right. So um, in November of 2018, I was just really blissfully pregnant with our second child, a baby boy that we'd already named Keegan, Keegan Christopher. Um, this is his picture. And you see, he's just a little guy. He's just a perfect little guy. And um, just shy of 39 weeks, I was 38 and a half weeks. Then I went in for a appointment and we discovered that his heart had stopped beating. And um, I was by myself because it was just a regular appointment. He was fine all that morning. I felt him feeling, I felt him moving all that morning. He was totally fine. and uh, I had to call my husband and tell him to come to the hospital. Luckily, we had a babysitter with our daughter already. It was not an appointment that she had come to, thankfully. And they induced me, and I labored for 12 hours, and then he was delivered, and he was perfect. And he was just just beautiful and perfect and just, just a little guy, head full of curly, dark hair, little cleft in his earlobe, you know, cleft in his chin, little button nose, just big chubby cheeks, just absolutely the most beautiful little boy. And um, I didn't really believe that he was dead all through labor. There was a part of me that was like, surely this can't be happening. Surely when he's born, he'll cry. And when he was born, the silence in the room was the loudest silence I've ever heard in my life. Um, and I just shattered my heart and my life just shattered. And uh, when they wheeled him out of the room to the morgue, we got to have him with us for a while. And then they had to take him to the morgue. And um, that moment when they wheeled him out of the room to the morgue and I had to say goodbye to my little six pound, 10 ounce baby boy for the last time ever. That was the saddest and the hardest moment of my life. And um, our lives haven't been the same ever since. They never will be me and my husband and my daughter and everybody else that we're connected to. He's had this ripple effect on everybody around him. And that's how we got involved in this field. Well, I, I know that you are, you have some sort of a healthcare background, medical background with your doctorate in, in neuroscience. And I know you're not an OB, but you're connected to healthcare in some way. And I'm wondering, was stillbirth on your radar? Um... Peripherally, it was. I had uh, known somebody who had had a stillborn baby girl um, 10 years prior to that, 
So I had known that it was a possibility. Keegan was actually what they call a single umbilical artery pregnancy, which is a condition that's considered to be so benign that um, guidelines aren't even issued on it. ACOG doesn't even really have any issues, any guidelines at all issued on how to handle it. What it is, is your umbilical cord is supposed to have two arteries on one vein. In single umbilical artery, you have one artery in one vein, but it's not supposed to impact anything. SMFN only has one kind of maybe guideline where they say maybe you might want to consider doing an extra scan in the second trimester, maybe. We had a pretty cautious OB and we were very cautious as well. Um, and so starting at 34 weeks, we were doing twice weekly non-stress tests and weekly ultrasounds to check his growth. And he was doing, he was doing fine. Um, and so since then I've actually petitioned ACOG and SMFM to issue stricter guidelines or issue any guidelines at all really on single umbilical artery pregnancies and also to allow for delivery before 39 weeks if there's any risk factor at all because we asked if he should be delivered early and we were told no, we were told he should not be delivered early. And obviously he should have been. The cause of his death was found to be um, torsion in the umbilical cord and a blood clot at the site of torsion. And um, that torsion was probably caused because he was a single umbilical artery baby. Um, but like I said, it's considered to be such a benign condition that there's no guidelines that are issued on it really. And um, it's not listed as anything you are even allowed to deliver for early. Many people don't know there's 39 week rule where they will not allow you to deliver early. Physicians can lose their insurance. They can be fired if they deliver before 39 weeks, if they don't happen, if the, if the um, risk factors don't fit some predefined criteria. And um, it's just, it's not, it's not helping. <laughs> it's not helping, but that's a different issue. Um, so we, I was peripherally aware that it was a possibility, but not really. And when we had spoken to our physician about it and to other physicians in her practice about it, then pretty much everyone said that single umbilical artery, you don't need to worry about it. It's, it's, not a cause for concern. Single umbilical artery babies go to 40 weeks all the time, go past 40 weeks all the time. No problem, nothing to be concerned about. But we were just being extra cautious by doing extra scans. I can tell from talking to you that you have a lot in common with me and my wife because we are what we call active grievers, where when this happened, when uh, our daughter Reese was stillborn, we go right into the rabbit hole of researching how does this happen? Why does this happen? How often does it happen? And then once you get all the information, you figure out what can I do to help solve this problem? And I can yeah. tell you're one of those people. And I'm wondering if you can talk through that process a little bit before we start talking about this legislation that you're working on, kind of talk through that process of the aftermath of wrapping your arms around this intellectually. Right. Well, it's really hard to process. I mean, to give birth, but then to not be able to bring your baby home with you and to know that you will never be able to bring your baby home with you, not to give birth and then know that you have to leave your baby in the hospital, but you can come back and visit to give birth and know that you will never be able to bring your baby home with you. That is very intellectually and very emotionally confusing. And it really it is very damaging. Um, and so I am a researcher, I'm a neuroscientist, and I, I just have to understand things like I can't I cannot function in this world or in this life without trying to understand things. And so I started doing a lot of research into the research that was being done on stillbirth and um, was really shocked at how high the stillbirth rates are. 
Um, stillbirth, one in 160 births will be a stillbirth, which equates to a mortality rate of 0.6% um, per births, which is crazy high. And people don't realize that. People don't re realize stillbirth is a possibility. Um, so I started doing research into what causes stillbirth, what's being done to reduce it. Um, I honestly don't think there's enough being done to reduce it. So I'm really grateful to organizations like Star Legacy who are doing research and are funding research and are organizing research into how to reduce it. And um, there's not a lot of resources available for grieving parents in this situation. Um, there, there are internet chat rooms that pop up around it. And sometimes those are helpful for people. Sometimes they aren't. It just depends on the person's unique personality. Um, but there's not a lot of resources, not a lot of organized resources. And we started looking into grief counseling. We had an amazing grief counselor who in the 70s was instrumental in um, helping to convince the hospitals to let parents hold their stillborn babies because they used to not let parents do that. Wow. I mean, she was amazing. She had this fantastic background in pregnancy. I mean, see, it feels weird to say that. She had this very thorough background in pregnancy and infant loss, um, but she was really one of the only people that we could find in the area that had a lot of counseling background in this. And so I just feel like there needs to be more research done and more, um, more being taught about it, honestly, in medical school and um, in terms of therapy, it's just not something that is being given the attention that it is due based on both the extremely traumatizing nature of it and also the prevalence of it, which is way higher than people realize. Um, yeah, so in order to, to answer your original question, which I believe was, what did I do afterwards, <laughs> then um, I just did a lot of research. I did a lot of reading and a lot of research. I actually read a book about um, that a woman neuroscientist had written about her husband, who was also a neuroscientist, uh, after he passed about the neuroscience of grief. And I found that to be hugely healing to read that book, to understand what was happening inside mm. my brain and yeah. my body as I was processing this. One of the things I'm, I'm assuming you eventually led to in your research and in your connection with the Star Legacy Foundation is the official document that may or may not exist, depending on what state you live in, that parents receive uh, following a stillbirth. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about what it's like in the state of Washington um, and what you are trying to accomplish. Right. Okay. So... Um... Stillbirth is really misunderstood in general. And um, what you get in Washington is what you get, I think, similar to what you get, you at least get this one document in pretty much most of the states, which is a death certificate. You are given a death certificate. And you are then required to contact funeral homes and to organize burial or cremation. We chose cremation. He has this really sweet little turtle urn um, that has his remains in our, in our bedroom. Um, and I think a lot of people don't realize that, that you are issued a death certificate and that you do have legal requirements of you already based on having a stillborn baby. In 45 states in the US, you can obtain a stillbirth certificate in addition to that. So that could be a certificate of stillbirth, certificate of birth resulting in stillbirth, just something from the state that says, I gave birth to the stillborn baby and it happened. Um, actually, 
I have this map for the legislators and I happen to have a copy with me. So you can see these are all the states where you can get a stillborn, a stillbirth certificate. You see there's five, there's five where you can't. And um, it's just, it's hugely damaging to families to have only a death and never a birth acknowledged. It's really delegitimizing of your experience and it leads into the silencing and the stigmatization and the shame that already follows stillbirth. Um, so it's, it's not, it's not a situation where they're not, they're just not helping people. It's, it's actively harming people to not have the fullness of their experience be realized. Um, so that's what this legislation is about, is really about making it so that the fullness of people's experiences can be realized uh, and that they can get these certificates if they want them. If they want to have the certificates of birth resulting in stillbirth, it's completely optional. They have the option to request that in addition to the already required death certificate. And I know you've been working on this since summer of 2019 uh, in your home state of Washington. Can you tell us about the progress that has been made and where you're at today? Right. So um, I'm part of this group of just really, really amazing women, and it's a really diverse group of moms. And um, we all have two things in common. One, we've all suffered stillbirth. And two, we all want to help other people. And so this group has been, has been growing over time. And we have a lobbyist who's also been helping us. And through the work of everybody in this group and our amazing, wonderful lobbyists, we have um, made it to legislator, to the, to the legislative session. So last year we testified in front of the Senate and we did not pass. This year we testified in front of the House and uh, we made it all the way through the House. We passed 85 to 13, which was just so validating. And just when I was watching the roll call vote where they were all voting, you know, yes or no, I was just, the tears were just rolling down my cheeks, just having our experience be validated and seeing that all these legislators cared and that they were willing to listen to us and willing to learn about stillbirth and willing to learn about the trauma that comes after stillbirth and how they can help families. It was so, it was so validating and it was just this huge release of emotion. Um, so now we're going to go to the Senate and we actually have a hearing next week. So Fingers crossed on that one. So after we go to the Senate, then if we pass the health care committee, then we have to go to the rules committee. And then if we pass the rules committee, then we go to the floor. And then on the floor, we have to be assigned a vote. And then if we get assigned a vote, then they actually get to vote on us. And then if they vote to pass us, then we go to the governor's desk to sign into law. And we did all that in the House already. So it's a very, very long process. And the entire thing is very emotionally challenging. Um, as I'm sure you can recognize, we've been working really hard meeting with legislators via Zoom, obviously. So all fall and all summer last year, we were having Zoom meetings with senators and representatives. And it was kind of this weird thing where we would all just kind of get on our computers and talk to each other about legislation. Um, but we're making progress and I'm really hopeful that we will be able to move forward. Depending on if you're a glass half full or a glass half empty person, when you see the vote come in from the House, 85 to 13, you're either focusing on the 85 people who are supporting this or the 13 people who aren't. And I'm wondering, you know, a lot of people in our shoes might say, why did this not pass 98 to 0? This is black and white. This is very critical. And I'm wondering in your time here, what have you heard from legislators in terms of the concerns that they've had about this certificate? Right. So 
like we said, stillbirth is already really misunderstood in general. And most people, um, including some legislators, don't know the illegal definition of stillbirth already exists. Stillbirths are already recorded and stillbirth has its own set of legal requirements of the parents. So this bill, it doesn't touch any of that and it doesn't change any of that existing policy or rights or definitions. All it does is it gives parents the option to also obtain a stillbirth certificate in addition to the already required and already issued death certificate. Unfortunately, because stillbirth is so misunderstood, there were some who were concerned that acknowledging the reality that a birth took place would in some way impact reproductive rights. As I mentioned, 45 states offer a silver certificate, and this hasn't happened in any of those states. It's just not an issue at all. Um, but this concern did give us the... Um, the opportunity to engage with key women's reproductive rights groups. And so we set up meetings with them and we sat in a room with them because it's actually before COVID that we sat in the room with them all since then has been via Zoom. Um, and uh, we listened to them and they listened to us and we chatted and we talked and we talked about what everybody's concerns and needs were and together, we together wrote and came up with this amazing bill, this really, really great bill that addresses everybody's needs and concerns that they are completely happy with. and. Um, Legal Voice then did a legal analysis of the bill in 2020 and actually testified in its favor in 2020 and testified that the bill would not and could not impact reproductive rights. It just it doesn't touch them at all. Um, it's just it's not about that. The bill is about acknowledging the reality of stillbirth and it's about honoring grief and honoring trauma. Um, so I've been really, really pleased with how these different groups have recognized that and have worked with us to enable the bill to move forward. And I would hope that anybody else who has similar concerns about the bill would look at the work that they have done in that regard and recognize what the bill is actually about. Recognize that it's about grief and it's about trauma. And um, it's about acknowledging and seeing women and their families, the entire family is just devastated, seeing women and their families during the most painful experience of their lives. You know, I'm thinking back to a few years ago, my wife and I and a few other Minnesota families and the Star Legacy Foundation worked together to pass a stillbirth tax credit bill here in Minnesota for, for families. It allows families to help pay for some of those funeral costs that you referenced earlier, some of the, the therapy costs, whatever else, but more it's just a recognition from the state. And my biggest takeaway from that whole process was what a beautiful country we live in that some regular citizen like me can make a couple phone calls to his elected officials. And then a year later, we just passed a bill. And I'm wondering, I know you're, you haven't reached that stage yet, but I'm wondering if there's any takeaways you have about just the legislative process altogether from going through this experience. Oof, well, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so on the one hand, it's been so beautiful to be able to reach out to people and talk to them and engage with them. You know, when we first started the bill in July 2019, then um, another mom and I met one of the legislators uh, in his wine shop. He owns a wine shop and we just went downtown to his wine shop and we sat down with him and we brought our, our pictures of our beautiful, beautiful, beautiful little ones and, and we talked to him. And it was just, it was really great to realize that legislators are people just like you and me, you know? I mean, he runs this wine shop and he was interested in our stories and he was kind and he was empathetic and it was just so validating. Um, but then we've also run into people who have opposed us because they are concerned about the reproductive rights issue that I mentioned earlier. And that's been very, very hurtful because you realize it has nothing to do, I mean, you have to realize it has nothing to do with you or else you will just not be able to function because it's so incredibly hurtful and so incredibly damaging.
But then also there have been some legislators who previously opposed the bill and then met with us. And then when they learned about it, said, oh, of course, why would we not support this? And so that's been really validating also to be able to reach out and to kind of educate people a little bit more about stillbirth. And as, as we mentioned, we're both kind of the advocate griever type. And so that's been validating. Yeah, I remember going into the process thinking, you have to have thick skin. You have to be prepared to not respond with anger or emotion if, if, or too much emotion if, if someone does not support. And that's really tough when you're talking about the single most traumatic thing that's ever happened in your life. Um, I'm going to grab a quick visual aid for my next question. Okay. You, you've held up this beautiful picture of Keegan a couple of times for me, and I know this is a podcast and people can't see this, but I, I found that there is so much power in our conversations with legislators who had never heard of stillbirth before or know very little about stillbirth, that if you show them a picture of your baby, Aww. like I'm showing to you right now, it completely changes the conversation in most cases because they, in many cases, it doesn't look like what you'd expect a dead baby to look like. You know, look at, look at your picture of Keegan, look at my picture of Reese they look like they could be opening their eyes any moment. They and just I'm, look like they're sleeping. Exactly. And I'm wondering if you had that same experience in some of your conversations where holding up that photo, that visual aid, helped support what you were trying to accomplish. Um, when I testified in the house last year, then I had his picture with me and I held it up and I heard an audible gasp when I did. Um, cause he's just beautiful. I mean, he's just this beautiful little guy. And like you said, I don't think that people realize what stillbirth is, you know, they don't realize that, I mean, he could have been born almost two weeks prior and he wouldn't have even been premature, you know? Right. And that's what people don't understand when you think about all these babies out there that are born at, you know, 36, 37 weeks and they do just fine. I mean, I mean, he, he was way past that. He was way, way past that. And so I think that sometimes people don't realize what stillbirth is. And so the picture does help. Um, but then you have to have people who are willing to meet with you. And we've had some legislators who have not been willing to meet with us, and we haven't had the opportunity to show them his picture. Yeah. Um, but I found that his picture has also been very um, helpful in helping uh, friends and family to understand what we're going through also. You know, our, our friends and family didn't necessarily know what to do at first, but when people saw his picture and people began to understand a little bit more what what had happened. Right. And wh what and who we had lost. Yeah. So for people listening to this podcast, especially people who live in Washington, is there anything people can do to help there absolutely is. There absolutely is. Thank you so much for asking. Um, the best way for supporters to help is to urge Washington state senators to pass the bill. This is especially important for residents of Washington. Um, you can find the state senator that represents your district on the Washington state legislative website, which is leg.law.gov. And through that, you can either write or call in to support the bill, whatever is easier for you. Uh, it's a bill number 1031, so 1031. 
I know that sometimes it can be really tempting to think that there's not much we can do to help each other through this kind of pain, but there is, there is just witnessing people's pain and acknowledging the reality of their pain is so helpful. And so your legislators hear you. They really do hear you and your voice matters to them. So please, please reach out to them and urge support of the bill to help traumatize families. It would mean so much to families who've lost their children stillbirth. And in Washington state, that's by the way, 520 families a year which equates to approximately 1.5 families being destroyed every single day. Um, it would just mean so much to all those families to have the option to obtain a certificate acknowledging the fullness of their experience and acknowledging that a birth took place. So I'd really just ask Washington residents to please, please write or call into their state senators to support this bill. Final clarifying question. If this passes... Would it only benefit future Washington families who experience a stillbirth, or could a family like you benefit from this? Thank you for asking that question also. Um, it would also benefit families like me, which is wonderful. We have on our team, we have um, one of the moms on our team lost her daughter on her due date uh, 40 years, not 40 years ago. She was 40 <laughs> weeks, lost her daughter on her due date 19 years ago, wow. and um, would benefit her too. Wow. Yeah. That's powerful. Yeah. Well, Terrell, is there anything else you wanted to share that uh, I know you had your notes prepared? You're one of the most prepared guests I've ever had. So I want to give you the opportunity to share anything else that you have not yet done so. Um, I would just say again, I mean, grief just, it really needs to be witnessed. And that's something that a lot of people don't understand that haven't been through grief. People who have been through grief understand that. But I mean, grief, grief needs to be shared and it needs to be witnessed and it needs to be acknowledged. And that's what this is about, is it's about acknowledging grief and seeing grief. Um, you know, I mean, acknowledgement is, is so important in all for all forms of grief. If you read through the literature on grief, which I have done a fair amount of, then over and over and over again, acknowledgement comes up and witnessing comes up. You know, when, when we ask people to do things like do walks for our babies or display their picture in their home with their family members or things like that. That's, that's witnessing. That's about witnessing the reality of the situation. And it's really through acknowledging and witnessing with each other that we can help each other. That's the best way that you can help each other. Um, this, the situation of stillbirth, the experience of stillbirth is so traumatizing to families. Um, a study that came out in 2018 demonstrated that 40% of women who endure stillbirth will develop PTSD and 30% will develop major depressive disorder. So this was a pretty recent study and I'm sure those numbers are much higher in COVID now that people don't have access to therapists anymore. This is really a mental health crisis and it's one that's being ignored. Um, and it can, be, it can be helped through the simplest acts of witnessing and acknowledging, and that's all we're asking, really. We're just asking for the reality that we gave birth, that I labored for 12 hours and gave birth to a beautiful six pound, 10 ounce, 20 inch long baby boy to be acknowledged and to share, to share in that experience with others. So please just um, to recognize that it's through acknowledging truth and pain that we can help each other through the truth and the pain. Terrell, it's been a pleasure meeting you. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for sharing your perspective. But most importantly, thank you for your advocacy uh, on behalf of Keegan and all the other babies and families who will, who will benefit from this. So thank you for your time. Thank you so much. That's all for this episode of the Stillbirth Matters podcast. I'm Chris Duffy. Thanks for listening.